0: Well, good morning again. Uh, we're in a series. I mean, as we talk about a certain topic for three or four or five weeks, this one actually five weeks, called Strapped. As I watched it, I thought, how difficult life would be to be physically strapped. Well, how difficult is life is when we are financially strapped. So, this is a financial series. Today's topic is managing your expenses. And for some of you that haven't been here, we're going to review for the first minutes. And we said, trying to give you a visual to help you with getting balance. I was talking to somebody yesterday that they need to get balance in their life, uh, all aspects of life, but in a financial area, how can we be reminded of how to keep balance? So he said, let's talk about the physical laws of balance and apply them to our finances. So first week we talk about a reference point. So to balance this bat, I have to have a reference point. My reference point is the top of the bat. So as I watch the top of the bat, keep my eye on the bat, I can balance it. I take my eye off of it, can't balance it, right? So I need a reference point. We said a reference point in our finances is to be knowing where your money is going. Got to know where it's going. It's hard to earn it. It's important that we know where it's going. So you have to have a system. It could be, you know, pen and paper, whatever. But keep a record of where your expenses are going if you're going to keep balance. And then the second week we talked about the third thing, clear objective. So what is my objective with the bat? My objective with the bat is to keep it upright. All right? And so, again, I have to keep my eye on that. That's objective. Why am I doing this? I'm doing it to keep it upright. I'm getting better at it, actually. (laughs) Practice makes perfect. And we said our objective, if you're a Jesus follower, is to honor God with everything, not just a percentage. We are managers. God owns it all. God distributes it as he will. And we just manage it. And so... We need to honor him with the way we manage it. So we go back to week one and say, okay, I look at how I spent my money. Hopefully I can say, yes, I honor God with the way I use my money. Then starting last week, we talked about this second point. Really important to have balance to make constant corrections. The only way I can keep the balance is continually move my hand and move my body, right? The only way. If I stand still, can't keep it balanced. And you and I and our finances can't stay balanced without constant correction. So last week we gave you two areas of constant correction. One was with debt, and we said, run, run, run as fast as you can to get out of debt. We called it gazelle intensity. Not just, hey, I can manage to pay my bills with this debt. No, 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 no. No debt. Debt's not on any Get rid of debt. Then we talked about extra, and I think I proved to you folks that you all have Extra. If you've got more than a roof over your head and clothes to wear and food to eat, in you have extra. So what are you doing with your extra? So today we're going to talk about corrections in our spending. Spending. All right, so the question I'm going to ask is, what drives your spending? What drives my spending? What drives everybody's spending? I'm going to use a couple words to, to, to answer that. First is this first word here, discontentment. Discontentment. Dissatisfaction with one's current situation and financially be your current financial situation. So I'm discontented that my car is old or my clothes are old or there's some new fancier, or shiny thing out there. So I'm discontented with what I have. So I often may even go into debt to try and satisfy this discontentment. Now interesting thing about discontentment is this. Awareness fuels discontentment or spending. Let me try and explain that. For me, the worst place for me to go, where I go the most, is Home Depot and Lowe's. Especially the tool department. Because I'm kind of an amateur carpenter. And so I have a bunch of tools. But there's always newer, fancier, more powerful. Power's always cool. Especially battery-operated tools out there. And so, when I didn't know about those tools, I, did, I was contented with my tools that I have. Now that I'm aware of those tools, I am not so contented with the tools I have. Right? So I'm happy with the house I have until I go on vacation and we rent this big, big house. And Wouldn't it be cool to have this big house on the ocean? So maybe I'm not so contented with my house anymore when I've seen this other house. One thing that's interesting to me is TVs. <laughs> we first got married... The TV that we, somebody lent us or gave us, I had to stand behind it and hold the antenna and watch the TV like this. So we got married in November, our tax return came in, I don't know, February or whatever. The first thing we did with our tax return was what? Buy a TV so I didn't have to stand behind it. But anyway, the biggest TV you could buy back then was 25 inches. So we bought a 25 inch one, of course it was really big and really heavy. So. We don't just look at that diagonal dimension anymore when we buy TVs. What do we also look at? We look at the depth, right? We even want to mount them on the walls. You couldn't do that with the old ones, could you? Uh, somebody was telling me they've got TVs so, so thin now that you can just kind of stick to the wall. That's how thin they are. So, hey, I didn't know about those. Now that I know, well, I want one, right? <laughs> I'm aware of the TV that's only that thick. So, awareness fuels discontent. So here's what we think if we don't verbalize. How can I get it, right? How can I get it? How can I get that new tool? How can I get that thin TV? How can I get that different house? How can I get it? So discontentment. Begin to ask that question. And the kind of weird thing that I've noticed in my, since my, my lifetime is we don't just replace things now. When I was growing up, when we bought a new appliance was because our old one broke, right? So when it breaks, you buy a new one. Not anymore, do we? We, re- we upgrade. You know, we still have one of those old deep DVs and, you know, it'd be nice to upgrade to a nice, because it's really heavy too, <laughs> but it still works. So, you know, we can upgrade to one of those nice, thin, probably bigger TVs. Now, with computers, you have to upgrade stuff, 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 stops working, Right? But those other areas of life, we don't have to upgrade, but we do. Another thing that I noticed was uh, growing up, we would, if we needed something temporarily, we would borrow it. Oh, I ne- you know, right now we're needing to to uh, what's this thing? Power wash our house two houses. And my wife says, oh, well, you know, this this one and that one." She's been aware of things. I've not been shopping. She's been shopping. Online is easy, right? And, you know, there's this, this, this one that doesn't cost as much as smaller and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Some that aren't gas-powered anymore and so forth. I said, well, you only use it once a year. Why don't we just borrow one from somebody that has one? They only use it once a year, too. But no, our mentality is got to buy one, right? <laughs> I got to have one for every year, for once a year. So awareness is a big motivator that gets us in trouble, gets us into debt upgrading rather than just replacing. Now, another thing we've been talking about is this, appetites. Appetites. Appetites are never fully and totally satisfied. In fact, I warned you last week I was going to eat too much Father's Day. I ate too much. I didn't feel too good even afterwards because I ate so much. But guess what I did the next day? I ate some more food the next day, right? Not fully and totally satisfied. Now, here's the weird thing. We think... To satisfy an appetite, you feed it, right? Well, it works temporarily. I, I, I often think about people that are, are uh, grossly obese, and I wonder how they got there. How did they get there? Well, they were kept trying to satisfy this appetite by eating more, and the more you eat, what happens to it? The appetite doesn't get smaller, guess What? And it gets bigger. And so we consume more calories than we're using. Of course, that's how we gain weight. So here's the key about appetites. And it's not just financial or not just food. They only shrink by depriving them. So the appetite for stuff or the appetite for food. I don't know how many people have been ever fasted uh, for three days or more. All right, I've only done it once. Uh, back when our... We have marriage problems, our 13th year of marriage. My wife took the four kids and left, left me home. And for three days, I didn't eat. You know what happens after two days? You're not hungry anymore. And so after three days, she came home and fixed a meal. And I'm sitting there, I smell it, watch her fix the food. And I didn't have, I mean, I ate, but I didn't have it. And I wasn't hungry. So the only way to shrink appetites, especially the appetite to spend, is depriving yourself of that. Of debt is depriving yourself of debt. Now, one other thing before we get to the Bible we want to look at. Discontentment's not always bad. It's not always bad. It can actually be leveraged for positive things. For example, you know, 50 years or so ago, uh, some people got upset about uh, segregation in this country. And so there was marches and so forth about uh, civil rights. And the civil rights movement blossomed. Uh, some folks, like myself, are discontented that the fact that abortion is legal in this country. Things can be legal and not be moral, and I think it's immoral. So I'm discontented with that fact. Um, often, or other, uh, multiple times in my he- in my life, I was discontented with my health. When I turned 30, I've always been thin, but when I turned 30, I realized you can be thin and not healthy. So we started eating more healthy, my wife made healthier meals, um, and I started running. I started running when I was 30 for health reasons. <clears throat> and most of you know, recently, three years ago, changed my diet again, because uh, I was discontented with my level of health. Uh, when you're discontented with your level of your relationship, your marriage, whatever, you know, when, 13th year, we went to marriage counseling, because we were discontented. Uh, You can read a book. You can go to a marriage conference. uh, You can get counseling. See, discontentment's not always bad. School, some of you, between school years, but in in school, maybe you're discontented with getting C's and D's, and you start studying harder, and maybe get a tutor, so you get A's and B's. And you and I need to be discontented with mismanaging the financial resources God gave to us. Certainly, about being in debt. We need to be discontented about debt. Now, we're gonna look at some part of the Bible that Paul wrote. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. And the part we're gonna look at is called First Timothy. He wrote two letters. This guy, young pastor, Timothy. He's kind of, kind of mentoring this young guy. And in the sixth chapter of this first letter, he talks about uh, the influence of money and effect of money uh, On our lives, and so we just look at a couple verses there. It's called First Timothy. So he said, "Godliness actually is a source of great gain when accompanied by contentment." I'm thinking, okay, it's not a great gain even if you're not contented. (laughs) I think it is, or at least it's a gain, greater gain maybe when accompanied by contentment, and defined as it comes from a sense of inner confidence. Based on the sufficiency of God. Is God all you need? Is God sufficient to supply your needs? Then you can be content. So there's great gain in that. And we have to come to a place where we do that. Use the word surrender and say, okay, God, yes. I believe that you're all I need. You will supply all I need. I am contented in that. And so you can watch, see somebody, somebody here has a new car. And I looked at their car, they told me a little bit about that car. I can say, hey, that's great. I'm happy for you to have that car. I have no envy for that car. I don't need to go out and buy one like that or buy a new car. Because I am contented that God has sufficiently supplied me the vehicle I need right now. Some days I might have to buy another one. So godliness, now we usually think of great gain as having stuff. Getting more money, more stuff. That's great gain, right? More money in my uh, 401k or whatever. Paul is telling telling him, no, no. Godliness accompanied by contentment is of great gain. That's what you and I should be striving for, working for. And then he gives some logic. I like logic. He says, after all, (laughs) we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, Right? You were born penniless, so was I, and material Didn't have anything. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. We leave it all behind, don't we? You can't take anything with it. So he said, that's not what real, we're going to see, real life is about. Because you didn't bring it with you and you can't take it with you. You got to rethink this whole concept of what's life about. So then the next verse, I kind of laughed when I read it. <laughs> he said this. So, we have enough food to eat and clothing, we're content. And I'm saying, no, we're not. (laughs) Are you content just to have some clothes to wear and some food to eat? Nobody here is content with this, that. So, I asked myself this question, and I asked you this question. Can I ever be content with just food to eat and clothes to wear? So, here's an interesting question I found, anyway. When were you the most content in your life? And most of us have the most stuff we ever had now. I have a lot more now than I had when I was young, certainly when I was first married. Uh, So I have more stuff now. And the question is, am I most content now with the most stuff? And for most of us, the answer to that question is no. (laughs) And we can think back when life was simpler and I was younger and I didn't have much stuff, I was more content. So does that make sense? Less stuff, more content? I think that's pretty much a a basic principle in life. So he's talking about the plus side. Then then, uh, Paul writing to Timothy addresses the negative side of this topic. It says in verse 9, But people who long to be rich. Now, if I ask you if you long to be rich, everybody's going to say, No, I don't long to be rich. No, it says people who live richly. That's what it says. And I think I proved last week that you all are rich. (laughs) World standards. You all are rich. You all have extra. You're all rich. So this is all talking about all of us. Long to be rich. We have to be careful because we can fall into a temptation. So it's dangerous to live richly. And are trapped. That's not a very nice word, is it? It sounds like strapped or trapped. I'm claustrophobic. And we were in Israel. We had this opportunity to go into Hezekiah's tunnel. And it's really long and it's amazing. But they said, part of it you're going to have to bend down like this and there's going to be water up to your knees. And I'm thinking, no way I'm going there. <laughs> I'm going to be trapped. There's going to be people in front of me, people behind me. I, no, I, I couldn't force myself to go there. I don't want to be trapped. But we are trapped, if we live richly, all of us, by foolish and harmful desires and plunges into ruin and destruction. That's pretty bad, right? Notice he doesn't say you might be, it says, you will be tempted. Now, some of us are trapped in leases we wish we didn't have. Leases for cars, leases for houses. Some of us, obviously, are are trapped by uh, consumer debt, non-secured debt. I summarize it this way, discontentment is dangerous, Right? Temptation, ruin, destruction, kind of bad words. So discontentment is dangerous. We have to be careful. Then he goes on, the next verse. For the love of money, notice it doesn't say money. Is money evil? No. Money is neutral. I mean, we take an offering, we use it for good, good stuff. Money can be good. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. gives us all kinds of trouble. And some people craving money, if you crave it, that's loving it, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. We'll get there in a minute. But back to this kind of foolish thing, kind of on the silly side. Think back to when you were dating the person you have married, maybe. Uh, I can think back. And the silly stuff you did. Now for us, we lived, I don't know, from Middletown to to Mapleville. It's not all that far. But I worked a carpentry job at the time. And so our our way to handle this was we would see each other every other night. So I'd get home from work if this is in August, working outside. I'd be hot and sweaty. I would take a shower and eat something and drive and stay with my future wife as long as I possibly could because I couldn't stay awake any longer, and then I would drive home. But the next night, I would stay home and sleep, because I lost the sleep the night before, All right, Kind of silly, right? Just because we wanted to be with each other. I was quote-unquote infatuated. I told her this morning, I'm still infatuated with her today, so that hasn't gone away. Um, But when we are infatuated with money and the stuff money buys, we can do silly things or foolish things, or we can do more Destructive things. Now, one word we use is justify. Figure out how I can justify buying that new TV, lacing that car, you know, getting that new whatever. How can I justify it? Well, if I give my tools away, I can buy a new one because I need a new one, right? I can justify it. Well, they needed a drill, so I gave my drill, dear. I have to buy a new one. So it's easy to justify, isn't it? So how or why do we wander from the faith? Most people, I don't think, wake up and say, okay, today I'm going to stop being, following Jesus and my goal is just to make money. Nobody wakes up and does that. What happens is we get distracted. You know, if I work on Sunday, I can make more money and eventually I can get this or get that. And so then some Sunday we don't work, we don't go to church because we're not going to church anymore. We get distracted. That's dangerous. So then he goes back to Timothy. He says, but you, Timothy... This, you, this doesn't... Well, I'm not talking about you, Timothy. He's bragging on Timothy a little bit. He says, you're a man of God. So consequently, you run from all these evil things. He doesn't say you flirt with them. We like to flirt with evil things, don't we? Kind of like this. I'll get in the lion's cage, but I'll be careful. Well, I'll pick up the poisonous snake, but I'll be careful. He says, no, 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 you You run! <laughs> You run from the lion, you run from the snake, you run from evil things, dangerous things, you run from this craving after stuff. But we can't be neutral, we just can't stand still. So he says, you run from this, we gotta run towards something. So what are we running or pursuing? He says, righteousness, that's doing what's right, doing what's good, godly life, being as much like uh, Jesus as possible. And he gives us some other words, faith, live by faith, live by lo- loving, perseverance and determination, stick-to-itiveness, and gentleness, pretty word, good word, gentleness. So, in practical terms, what does that mean? Well, maybe I need to spend less time on the internet looking at Home Depot or Lowe's websites <laughs> and more time spending on a, 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 a religious website, getting, develop my intimacy with God. I love the action words, run from, pursue. The next word he talks, uses the word fight. Christianity is not a passive religion. Some people think it is. It's very active, running and pursuing and fighting. So, summarize it this way. Contentment is found by redirecting our pursuits. So, instead of pursuing after stuff and things, I mean, we need some stuff and some things, obviously. Uh, Pursuing other things, godly things, righteousness, etc. Thought about this way. For example, maybe you have a car payment. Hopefully you don't, but say you have a car payment. I can go get a different car, a newer car, and my payments will only be $200 more a month. I can afford that, for example. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your car okay, the one you have? Is there some other place you could put that $200? Is there somebody that has a need? Maybe somebody doesn't have food to eat or clothes to wear or, you know, they're at the homeless shelter. So, am I going to direct that to buying a new car with those $200 a month? Or am I going to choose to pursue something else? Then skipping down a couple of verses, he says this. This translation says, teach. Some would say command. Pretty strong word. Those who are rich in this world, which is all of us, not to be proud of it. And here's the key, though, not to trust in their money. So, where's your trust? Where's your security? You say, well, it shouldn't be in money because that's unreliable. Our trust, our security should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. We talked about it. He owns it all, He controls it all. So, the only reason we wouldn't have it is because He's withholding it from us, probably for a good reason, because He's got all, He owns the universe. But he gives us what we need. He gives us all more than we need because we're all rich. And he wants us to enjoy it. But let me tell you, I think giving that $200 to somebody in need rather than car payment is more enjoyable. It just is. So then he goes on. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. Help those in doing good is help those people in need. They, we, they, us, should be rich in good works. So no matter how much money we have or how rich or poor we think we are, we all can be rich in good deeds and be generous to those in need. And always be willing, ready to share with others. I think we talked about this. It's hard to share new stuff, isn't it? You know, I, you can borrow my car. If I bought a new car, I don't know that you borrow my new car because <laughs> it'd be all shiny. You might scratch it up. I don't you borrow my old tools, but I have my new tool. I don't want to let you borrow that. He said, but always be ready to share. So I asked this question a couple weeks ago. Is there anything you own that you're not willing to share? Was it really yours to begin with? No, it all belongs to God. So then he summarizes with a verse that kind of quoting or paraphrasing Jesus, by doing this, they, we will be storing up treasures Good foundation for the future. Our futures is where in heaven. So we may experience true life now. This is true living. Not craving stuff, but desiring or pursuing, doing good things, godly things. That's what brings contentment. That's what brings peace. That's what brings fulfillment. That's what brings satisfaction. Besides, when I say I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to spend, what do you do? You spend. That doesn't work. So we need to become more aware of what other people don't have and less aware of what we think we need. We think we need. And following that up, when there's this collision of those two kinds of awareness, awareness of what other people need and awareness of what I think I need, next slide, over time, Not instantly, but over time, God changes our hearts. And my heart desires more to help those in need rather than to buy me more and bigger stuff. That's contentment. Now, when I was studying yesterday, it reminded me, something else, scratching my head, it reminds me of something else Paul wrote. So I, I checked it out and found it. It's in Philippians. And real quickly, we're almost finished. Notice how Paul says it here. He's later in life. In Paul's life, he says, I'm not saying this. He talked about uh, his life. He had some good times and some difficult times. Because I'm in need, but I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's good news, bad news. (laughs) Contentment is not natural. We have to learn it. We have to work at it. The good news is you can learn it. You can become content. Then he says, you know, next verse, I know what it is to be in need. So he, he was poor, but he also had, at times, had plenty. He said, I've learned the secret. It's really not a secret. We've been talking about it. The secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And then a verse that some of you may recognize. I can do all thi- this. Sometimes I say things, but he said this. What is this? Being content. We all can be content through him who gives me the strength. Here's your homework, could have been a lot of things. Here's what I'd like you to think about this week. What do you need to become less aware of? What catalogs you need to throw away? What websites you gotta stop looking at? What, what stores you gotta stop going to? All right? What needs you become less aware of? What needs you become more aware of? Do you need to go to a voice of martyr website? Do you need to go to a homeless shelter or a food pantry and see people who have true needs? Remind you what, Paul, how we started out. Godliness actually is a source of great gain accompanied with contentment. We all want great gain. That's where we can find it. All right, let's pray together. We'll have a song and let you go. Thank you, God, for the, the wisdom of the Bible. It's cool, pretty cool to read it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I thank you for this instructions about stuff and where true contentment and satisfaction and peace come from. But this is a temptation we all struggle with. I'm no different than anybody else. I like new tools and new stuff. So God, help us. Give us the courage to do these things, make these decisions, uh, to be less aware of what we think we need and more aware of the true needs out there. Of course, it all starts with our relationship with you, God. (laughs) That's the only way we can be content. So we're going to pray for everybody here that they have that personal relationship with you, they step across that line to follow you. If they haven't stepped across that line, at least they've taken the first step the following you, God. And then that peace and contentment will come. God, I thank you for, again, the wisdom here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.